Brian loves stickers. Hate stickers. Um, <laughs> a little louder for those in the back. I um, hate stickers. <laughs> About to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but also a dimension of archaic terms and eldritch interactions, an unfamiliar dimension where beings of three hands socially interact over a battlefield, all while stacking bodies cultivating their own personal graveyard, a dystopia so puzzling that exiles are public and libraries are private. You're entering the episode 288 zone. You practiced that, didn't you? Did not. <laughs> that was very impressive. I, I was. Am, I am I, impressed. I was reading that and saw typos and had to correct on the fly where my noun verb tenses didn't match. So, so what we're going to talk about are zones, right? Like demilitarization um, zones, construction zones, auto, auto zone, zone auto, end auto zones, zone. residential zones, mountain time zones, right? We're going to talk about zones. Yes. All of them ice cream zones, <laughs> traffic loading, zones, loading zones. Yeah, no. So, hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 288. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Frillman. I am joined this evening, afternoon, one. Blah, blah, blah. Drive I, to work. That, that's, yes, that. The Eldridge drive to work uh, by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. Hello. And so we have banished Sama to the Phantom Zone. For this particular Aww. episode. <laughs> yeah, if you go outside and look up, if it's night, if it's evening, you can look up and just see this this glossy square rotating up in the sky. And Sama and an owl are right behind her and she's just banging on it. But we're talking about <laughs> zones. <laughs> it's been it's been seven years since we did a zone podcast, so I hope you can get in the zone for some CR learning with us. Yeah, this is this is one of those episodes where we read the rules so you don't have to. Oh, man. A zone is a place where objects can be during a game. There are normally seven. <laughs> Much like Deadly Sins, there are seven zones. Which, one, which one's Lust? Exile. Yes? No? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. Battlefield. Battlefield. Wouldn't that be anger? Or no, anger would have to be the graveyard because that's where anger is the best. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I just want to know where sloth is. Is that is that uh the stack or is that you huh. know, we're going way too deep on this. We're trying we, too hard. We are. I mean you could like wrath being the graveyard because that's where they go when you huh. Give us your mapping. Like if you had to map the seven zones to the seven deadly sins, what would they be? Hit us up on Twitter. Yes. All right. So what are these zones? What is this? So so zones are, and, and I thought about this a little bit, and we can really get into the rules part of this, and that's what we want to do. But the idea behind zones is very simple. It's a way to keep the game orderly, right? It keeps track of where objects are in the game, where certain objects, and certain objects can only have certain interactions in zones. Where is that spell that we're trying to resolve? Or what is my, where's my commander when it's not on the battlefield? Uh, zones help us answer these questions. How do, you, how do you move it from my hand? You know, I can't just start with everything on the battlefield 
Uh, this isn't Yu-Gi-Oh. I think I think that's how it works in Yu-Gi-Oh. You just start the game and just slam all these trap cards on the battlefield, and then you just smugly get to say, "Ha ha! You've activated my trap." I don't my know trap card. I don't know how Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know how Yu-Gi-Oh works either, but it sounds right. Yeah, it does. It. We'll go with it. So there are seven zones used in in today's game. What about what about the the games of yore? Um, well, the games of yore we'll talk about in a minute. But, okay. But in today's game, we have seven zones, and they are library, hand, battlefield, graveyard, stack, exile, and command. Um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, before command zone even existed, I believe. Um, I'm not sure when command zone came into effect, but I would imagine that it came into effect later. There was another zone called anti. Um, yeah, and, and, and when a zone and, and somebody an who knows more about that, yeah, yeah, and when a zone and an anti zone collide, uh, you get a warp signature or warp propulsion or something. That's something exactly about the, how that works. Something like dilithium crystals. No, the the anti zone was back when gambling was part of the magic. Way back, way back in like ninety ninety three through ninety six, I want to say. Yeah, it was a while ago. We'll talk about it. Yeah, but it, it had it's there were cards like Bronze Tablet and Contract Below that had anti effects on them, and the idea behind it was that um, anti cards would be, I guess, anti cards only maybe would be put to the side, and they basically uh, be the prizes for whoever won the the game. The anti zone was way back in the day when you would shuffle up, uh, you would take the top card of your library, and you just put it, flip it over and put it in the anti zone. And the winner of the game of Magic got both cards. Wow. And so there were other cards that interacted by letting you swap out a card from your library with the card in the anti-zone. Anyway, way too much talk about a thing that that isn't super, super relevant anymore. But, yes, uh, we, we don't we don't anti-cards anymore. Yeah. But flavorfully, flavorfully, the various zones of the game are things like the library is supposed to represent like your deep learning knowledge and cards in your hand are supposed to represent your ready to use spells. And then on the battlefield, those are the creatures that you've summoned or the magic that you've deployed. Great graveyard are things that have died in the course of, of, of the game. Yep. And your command zone is Achilles tent that he goes off and sulks in. You know, if you are a fan of the Iliad. Yes. I mean, that's that's the how that works is is you don't. Oh, you don't know what the Iliad. Read a book, listeners. What are you doing? Ask your parents. Ask your your grandparents. So players have their own hand, their own library and their own graveyard. Uh, Those the those are uh, individual to each player. And then the other zones, interestingly enough, are are communal. Uh, They're shared zones. I don't understand why exile is a shared zone. Never have. Uh, I'm sure somebody will be able to explain it to me through the course of this episode. The battlefield is a is also a shared zone, right? The battlefield is a shared zone. Okay. Um, why? And, so... and I get that, but okay. I don't understand why exile is shared because I think exile. I think of exile more like a, a graveyard, and graveyard's not shared. No, but at the same time, the ex- hmm. Because I don't, I don't put my exile cards into into my opponent's pile. Well, you're think you're thinking about how it is done f- physically. 
Like, yes. like we can't, yes. we can't mix up like your graveyard order matters. So I can't really combine your graveyard and my graveyard together in any way, shape or form. Like they have to be kept separate and distinct. So you have to keep your chocolate out of my peanut butter. I got that. I, and you could probably argue that. So the graveyard is kind of a pile, whereas the exile things can be spread out a little bit more. If you think about it, like we typically, when you see players, they have an exile pile. But it doesn't have to be that way. There could be cards exiled face down, you know, right here. There could be cards that are just straight up exiled. There could be cards that are exiled, but they're actually under other cards that are on the battlefield. You know, oh, like Banish that, Your Priest that make, and stuff that's like that. That's starting to make sense. Yeah. Okay. You picking up what I'm putting down? I'm getting it. All right. So, okay. So you talked about... What zones are public? Which yep. are the graveyard, the battlefield, the stack, and exile? Now, what does it Those mean to be? What does it mean to be a public zone? Well, public zone is a zone that where all the objects are, are visible, um, except in the case of certain things that happen with exile sometimes. But or um, in the graveyard, down, yeah. yeah, yeah. But in in the graveyard, uh, in the battlefield, sometimes you'll have morphs, of course. But in the battlefield, the stack, uh, exile, and command zones—they're all public because they're all visible to all players in the game. Okay. Um, and then there are hidden zones, and those are areas of the game that contain cards concealed from view by more than by one or more players. Uh, those cards are the library and the player's individual hand. These zones remain hidden even if one or more of the cards are revealed. Right. So if there is a, a card, I think it's called telepathy, that's like players players play with their hands revealed, or opponents play with their hand revealed. Sure. Even though that hand is everything in that hand is on display. The hand is still a hidden zone. Mm -hmm. It is. I know that when I'm at Friday Night Magic, I'll see uh, oftentimes players play with some cards that have been revealed uh, in a heads-up manner, where they're either laid out on the battlefield or they're reversed in the hand so that the opponent can continuously see what cards have been revealed. Um, that's just a matter of saving time. Those cards are still in a hidden zone. At competitive level, what will happen is is players will write out what cards have been revealed, I've, and I've they'll seen... be expected to track that. But I've even seen it at competitive level. Have you? Uh, yeah, I saw it just this past weekend. Because yeah, one, one, the reason why you would do it at a competitive level is that way I don't have to... You might write down the cards that you see and be marking them off as you see them played. But yeah. then if I just leave them displayed, then I don't have to track and record what you have and haven't seen. I know yeah, what you've seen because I can thinking there. Yeah. All right. Now, right now, we're kind of talking. We, we're we're talking about the general zone rules. Okay. So these are these are rules that apply to large swaths of zones, and then a little bit later, we'll talk about specific rules for specific zones. But one of the things that we know just from knowing magic is I can't have an instant face up on the battlefield. Oh, I know okay. that we've talked about. I know that. You know, you've talked about this on other shows. Why not? I mean, really, what's the big deal? Well, what's what's it? Because <laughs> the because the game isn't defined to handle to handle it, right? So what they have is they have a rule that says cards with certain card types can't enter certain zones, and then they say if an instant or sorcery card would enter the battlefield, it remains in its previous zone. We would find that in a state based action, correct? If it, ends um, up, if it actually ends up there, the, the game cleans it up. Is there is that a state-based state action? I don't think that's a state-based action. Let's... 
Let's go look. Copy of a spell is a zone other than the stack. It ceases to exist. I am not seeing. No, it's not a state based action. Okay. No, I think I think what happens is they just have a rule that says it can't go there. So it's not. <laughs> it's not really a state based action. We're not even going to get to the state based action. We're just gonna. Yeah, we're just gonna preclude you from being allowed to do it. Stop. Stop doing silly things. Right. You know, blah 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 manifest okay sure that's not really uh an instant or sorcery it's face down card it's creature right right okay there's also conspiracies phenomenons planes schemes vanguard cards that are in the command zone if if somehow and i don't actually know how this would happen but if they would leave the command zone they just uh sticker they just continue hanging out with achilles in his tent Great. They're, they they've got some sticky substance attached to them, and as they're they're trying to fly out, they're being stretched back into it. Got it. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. So object order matters until it doesn't. Uh, for instance, <laughs> for instance, objects in the library must remain in the order they start the game in. Right. Um, there's no reason for them to change order unless a game action allows you to manipulate the order of the cards, or if you shuffle the library, then the order does change. Um, the stack also has to have an order so we know how to resolve spells and face down piles of objects. Those often are most often exile generally must remain in a particular order. Okay. Uh, yep. Um, now the graveyard technically, technically, technically has an order to it. Yeah. So you... And, and I have something a little bit later on on that, but, but oh, go ahead and talk do... about it. No, go ahead and talk about it. Okay. Now. Um, so cards, cards go in the graveyard and they go in, in the order in which they die. Now, if multiple things go to the graveyard at the same time, you get to choose the order. But once they go into that order, they're kind of locked in place right now. There's, they haven't made a whole lot of cards, um, that care about that. 23. There's 23 cards. I went looking for it earlier tonight. 23. So if you're not playing in a format that... That cares about and graveyard I think order. I think it's Urza Saga or older. Yep. So Legacy Vintage technically cares about graveyard order. Commander technically cares about graveyard order. But since there's so few cards, really the way it kind of works is if you're playing cards that care about graveyard order, you kind of say that up front. Like you almost have to opt it's in. It's really a good idea. You yeah. Know, it's it's kind of like part of your, for Commander, it's kind part of your rule zero conversation is right. you sit there and you say, by the way, I'm playing a couple of cards that care about what order my graveyard is in. So I'm going to keep it in order. If you happen to handle my graveyard, please do not change the order of these cards. It's very important to the game. Yep. 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 All right. Do you want to touch on briefly on 400-4006? Yeah. 400.6 is a rule that has to do with when objects move from one zone to another. Um, and it's a chunky paragraph that has a lot of, a lot of ins and outs to it. So we're just going to use an example from it and then I'll let Brian comment on it a little bit more. Okay. Um, the example is exquisite archangel has an ability, which reads, if you would lose the game instead, exile exquisite archangel and your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. A spell deals five damage to a player with five life and five damage to an exquisite archangel under that player's control. 
as the state-based actions are performed, the player's life total becomes equal to their starting life total, and that player chooses whether Exquisite Archangel moves to its owner's graveyard or to exile. So, yeah. so Brian, what's happening here? Okay, so realistically, this rule right here kind of gives a little bit about how moving objects uh, from one zone to another interact with replacement effects. Okay, and it talks about if the object is moving from a a zone that only they can see, or if it's an object is moving from a zone that everyone that everyone can see, and it's talking about with replacement effects. You know what? Which of those replacement effects apply? And if I have an effect or rules that try to do two or more contradictory things, okay, then you get to then you get to pick that object's controller or its owner if it has no controller. So in the Exquisite Archangel example, it says if you would lose the game, instead exile Exquisite Archangel, and your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Okay. Well, the situation that the rule set up is the player is both at five life and takes five damage, and the exquisite archangel takes five damage as well. So state-based actions, there are two. Uh, one says, I lose the game, and the other says, uh, exquisite archangel is put into the graveyard from the battlefield. Okay. But I have a replacement archangel, uh, exquisite archangel has a replacement effect that can replace me losing the game. Okay. And it says, so if I would lose the game, instead exile uh, Exquisite Archangel. Well, you do state-based actions. I can't exile, ex or sorry, the clause is instead exile Archangel and my life total becomes equal to my starting life total. It's both of those things. Well, I'm trying to do that instead, but I've got two contradictory things. I've got a state-based action that says put it in the graveyard, and I've got a replaced state-based action that basically says exile archangel i can't do both so in that particular case i get to choose i just feel like that was the first time that i just listened to who's on first <laughs> exquisite archangel <laughs> but it does make sense yeah you just have right. to break these things down and and really read them and look at them um there are times when we can read these things to you and and they'll they'll make sense and it's great and there are times when you'll hear us talk and you'll sit there and you'll say what did they just say um, feel free to rewind, listen to it again. Feel free to pull up rule 400.6, read through it, um, Realistically, and, and, and work, work through it. It's, it's not that bad. So this rule and the, the ones that we're going to talk about next, cause we're going to give a rule and then we're going to talk about a bunch of exceptions. Realistically. Okay. It works like you would expect it to work. Okay. Right. And when I say, or or it works like the most intuitive way you think it is going to work. There are going to be some corner cases, but the vast majority of times, as a judge, it's going to work in the intuitive way. Yes, 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 there's the 2% error case that judges love to stump each other with. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of cards that just, just do what they say on them. And they're going to make sense. And we're going to talk about it when we get into like uh, some rules and some exceptions of rules. You're going to say like, oh, well, how am I going to learn all of these exceptions to the rules? Well, you just got to think this card, if it wasn't an exception, it just wouldn't work. We'll get into those. So let's let's talk about one of the famous rules that people know. And this is a question that you answer at events all the time, which is the player calls and says, judge, if I cast this spell, okay, and 
It's got a target. It says, you know, destroy, you know, three damage target creature, draw a card. And they sacrifice that creature or they blink that creature. Do I still, you know, what happens? Do I get and to the, still draw that card? Yeah. And and so that question is always focused on, no, is, uh, the that target is no longer valid. So a spell with no targets gets, you know, uh, fails to resolve. So you wouldn't draw the card. The, the reason why is because it's target change like if it if it flickered or something like that it's a new object now right right so an object that moves from one zone to another in general is a brand new thing with no memory it is like a character on a soap opera it's got amnesia (laughs) no memory of its previous existence you know and they can write that character off and bring in another actor that looks just like it plays the same part but it's completely different yeah, they'll give them a little, you know, bandage around their face for the first couple of weeks right. so that you get used to, you know, seeing them but not seeing them. And then suddenly the bandage will be revealed. Yep. And... yep. and then there's like 15 exceptions <laughs> <laughs> to that so, rule. So, so what we're going to talk about next, I guess, is, is that objects that move from one zone to another um, become a new object with no memory, right? Yep. And then there are exceptions. And we have a whole bunch of them. And we're going to go through them one by one so that you've got them. The first one is, and and I did we copy the rules here exactly, or did we rewrite this? Section? Uh, I believe that is that is direct from the uh, from the CR. Sure. So I'll read this one, and then I'll read ahead a little bit so that hopefully I'm giving it in a little bit less stilted language, okay, or less official language. But this one is effects from spells, activated abilities, and triggered abilities that change the characteristics or controller of a permanent spell on the stack continue to apply to the to the permanent that that spell becomes. So the example here is Life Lace, and Life Lace is an instant for one green, and it says target spell or permanent becomes green. Yep. And if the spell becomes green, like if then, I were to cast a Granite Gargoyle, because obviously if we're talking Life Lace, we're, you know, Alpha Beta Unlimited revised. That granite granite gargoyle is a two two red creature with flying. It's going to enter the battlefield as green, and that's actually that's actually in the actual uh, printed text of the original Life Lace. Is it says that the creature that it becomes will turn green, which is how it turned into a rule. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. All right. So the next one uh, we talked about a little bit actually a few episodes ago. So this this got some tweaking uh, due to a card called Sarah Paragon. Okay, so this this rule says, well, I'll just read Sarah's Paragon because we're going to read it a little bit later. Also, has this ability that says, um, once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with a mana value three or less from your graveyard. When you do, it gains. This permanent is put into a um, when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. Okay, so you are this is is allowing you to cast a spell from your graveyard, putting it on the stack, giving it an ability, and then when that permanent when that spell resolves, it needs to keep that ability, or the card doesn't make sense. That's what seven uh four permanent spells this 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 card Sarah's paragon messes with lands or permanent spells this rule deals with just the permanent spell portion 
effects from static abilities that grant an ability to a permanent spell. So Sarah's Paragon is granting an ability. The When this permanent is put into the grave or from the battlefield exile it and you gain two life. Is granting an ability to a permanent spell, okay, um, that functions on the battlefield, which this would be. It's going to function on the battlefield. Continue to apply to the permanent that that spell becomes. And actually... I'm going to I'm going to touch I'm going to touch one one other rule at the same time just so we don't have to do this. It's uh I said this was dealing with a permanent spell. They have the same rule basically for land. It's a separate exception for playing a land. So this rule that we just talked about is a uh, uh, is giving an ability to a spell on the stack and then that spell becoming a permanent. Uh there is another rule that says if an effect allows a land, because remember, lands don't go on the stack. If an effect allows a land to be played, other parts of that effect can find the new object that the land card becomes after it moves to the battlefield as a result of being played this way. Again, Sarah's Paragon. And again, <laughs> you look at these right. and go like, oh, these are so complicated. How am I going to remember? Just read the card. The card don't work if the rules don't support, if the rules don't support it. In so, fact, originally, rules didn't support Sarah Paragon exactly the way that it right. was written. So the rules were changed to make it work. Right, because apparently uh, they they oopsied uh, when they were when they were editing the rules. But in in general, uh, and we're going to come up with some even more intuitive things like like just following the instructions on the card. You kind of are picking up on two really kind of complicated corner cases of the rules. All right. So the next one is uh, deals with prevention effects. So prevention effects that will apply to damage from a spell on the stack will continue to apply that damage from the permanent that the spell becomes. Uh, hollow, which is uh, one in a white, and, or one white uh, is an instant, and it says prevent all damage that a target spell would deal this turn. You gain life equal to the damage prevented this way. So that target spell, when it you prevent all damage, the target spell would deal this turn. If you cast that and you cast that um, to a spell that's a permanent that's also in the stack that's targeting that, that's what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, when that spell actually resolves, that spell will continue not to deal damage. And you'll continue to gain life if that spell has haste on it and they attack. Um, you'll gain life equal to the damage prevent. Right. Or if there's a spell that says, like, prevent all damage from a source of your choice, and you play that in response to a spell on the stack, and you, like, that that card right there, that's the source of my choice. Right. Um, well, when that card when that card on the stack becomes a permanent, still it still finds it. It's still the source of your choice. All right. Um, so the next one... Um, so let's let's talk Archangel of Wrath. Okay, this is a Dominaria uh, United card. Yeah. Um, so it's two white white for a three four creature with kicker. Okay, you can kick it for an, a red or a black or both. Has flying lifelink and it says when Archangel of Wrath um, enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, it deals two damage to any target. When Angel of Wrath enters the battlefield, if it was kicked twice, it deals two damage to any target. Okay. Well, it's a new object that just entered the battle. It it went it moved from the stack to the battlefield, right? So it being on the battlefield, it's a new object. It has no memory of whether or not it was kicked, right? Right. 
No, because no. there's an exception. Because because <laughs> that card is dumb. Like, why would you put those par- those those sentences on the card if it doesn't work? So there's a a rule that says if an ability of it a permanent can reference information about the spell that be uh, that became that permanent as it resolves, uh, including what costs were paid to cast that spell or what mana was spent to pay those costs. It remembers okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's able. It's able to look back. So a spell that becomes a spell that becomes a permanent, that permanent can actually ask questions about how it was cast. <laughs> Hello, sir. Did you use <laughs> red right. mana to cast me? Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> I, I just want to mention the, the elegance of the design of, of Kicker on, on this particular cycle of cards where you could use different colors of mana to, to actually kick it. I think that that was just amazing design space. I hope they do a lot more of that. Anyway, the next one has to do with what happens when an object moves from one zone to another. Um, for example, when the spell Rancor is put into the graveyard from the battlefield. Um, when it references itself and, and the zone change, it can find itself is essentially what's happening here. Um, so Rancor, Rancor is uh, one green. It's Enchantment Aura, and it says when Rancor is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, return Rancor to its owner's hand. And no, we're not talking about the little thing from uh, Return of the Jedi, that cute little uh, animatronic thing cute we're talking little. about. Little. Little. It was tiny. You know, that guy cried over his the death of the Rancor. Yeah, because he was really happy that his, uh, his <laughs> food bill went down. Like... That is a big mouth to feed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's a neat effect that uh, the game allows, again, the thing to happen that you think should happen. Um, it's not, uh, it doesn't lose its track. It doesn't lose track of itself. All right. So next, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to go over the rule. There is a card in Brothers War called, uh, a mythic called Draconic Destiny. Okay. That sounds it's a, awesome. Yeah. It's an enchant creature. Enchant creature gets a bunch of abilities. Who cares? doesn't matter for this. And then it says, when enchanted creature dies, return Draconic Destiny to its owner's hand. Okay. Now you think about this from a, from a game mechanic standpoint so if i have a creature equipped with draconic destiny and i destroy that creature okay i deal i deal damage to it state-based actions are going to put that creature in the graveyard then my draconic destiny is just kind of hanging out there like wily e. coyote running off a cliff and then state-based actions are going to take draconic destiny and put it in the graveyard and now that trigger is going to be put on the stack right right so okay. wait, you know, Draconic Destiny's gone to the graveyard. It's a new object, right? Right. So, well, well, that doesn't make sense. That that functionality doesn't work if it's an if if Draconic de- if the Draconic Destiny ability that triggers from the battlefield can't find the Draconic Destiny in the graveyard, that ability doesn't work unless we create exception four hundred dot seven F abilities of auras. Okay, so this only applies to abilities of auras that trigger when the enchanted permanent leaves the battlefield, okay, they can find the new object that aura became in its owner's graveyard if it was put uh, put 
into that graveyard at the same time the enchanted permanent left the battlefield. Okay, now that seems to contradict what I said, but I'm going to read the next sentence. So it says, it can also find the new object the aura became in its owner's graveyard as the result of being put there as a state-based action for not being attached to a permanent. Okay, so the first part says, basically, if the creature and the aura are destroyed at the same time, so I played something to destroy all creatures and all enchantments, or if if uh, uh, it's put there because of the state-based action uh, whoopsie-daisy that I explained uh, at the beginning of this whole mess. And I think the last time we talked about this this episode, uh, we did Zone seven years ago, we used Angelic Destiny as the example. So I'm really happy that we had another handy-dandy example just in the last set. Not only that, but they both have Destiny in their name. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so the next exception is one that... Um, Details when an effect grants a non-land card an ability that allows it to be cast, that ability will continue to apply to the new object that card becomes after it moves to the stack as a result of being cast this way. And I've read that three times, Mm -hmm. and I don't get it. Okay, so if, if I have an effect, like, if I have an effect that grants a card, let's say I've got a card in my graveyard. I can't normally cast those. But then I have something that lets me cast it from my graveyard, right? And then it moves, so I cast it. It goes from my graveyard to the stack. It's still going to have that ability that let me cast it so that I can continue casting it on the stack. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. So like, yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of what it's what it's saying right there. If an effect, if an effect grants a non-land card, the ability that allows it to be cast, that ability will continue to apply to the new object the card becomes on the stack. So if this something feels happens, like a little bit like a catch-all, like it's like it's yeah. just helping to protect the yeah. integrity of of the ability to do actions like that. Yeah, because you don't want you don't want to like start being able to cast the spell and then when you get in the middle of actually casting it, it doesn't have the ability anymore that allowed it to be cast in the first place. Right. No gotchas. Right. Yeah. All right. So the next one, oh, how did I forget to write an example for this? If an effect allows a non-land card to be cast, other parts of that effect can find the new object that card becomes after it's moved to the stack as a result of it being cast this way. Okay, so if something if something says, I'll just make up a card. Okay, you can cast a cast a. You can cast a card from your graveyard, and then it's going to cost two less to cast. Okay. The thing that lets you cast it from the graveyard still applies, and there's another effect that says, and it's going to cost two less. That's going to apply to the card the, to the card on the stack. Well, it was in the graveyard when you initially targeted it. It's now in the stack, but you're still going to get to pay you two less. All right. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. So remember when we were talking about Sarah Paragon before? Yeah, I just did. The, I did that one at the same he, time. He, he as just did. did that. So yeah. Oh, you can do the next one then. <laughs> okay, no, I'll do the I'll do the next one. Um, if it, <laughs> that's not fair. Um, so if an effect would cause an object to move to a public zone, other parts of that effect can find that object. So if the cost of a spell or ability caused the object to move to a public zone. And a public zone would be someplace like the graveyard or uh, the battlefield. That spell or abilities 
effects can still find that object. That's it. You know, it, it's again, it's just being clean. It's trying to make sure that uh, whatever's happening is allowed to continue to happen under the rules of the game. Yeah, and the, the example of that is Flash. Okay. okay, it says you may you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield if you do sacrifice it unless you pay uh, its mana cost reduced by up to two. Okay, the card that you're putting the the object is in your hand. You are putting it on the battlefield. It's a different object. It's saying flat. Uh, this rule is saying that no, no, no. That flash that can find that new object, that creature on the battlefield, and make you pay two for it, or make you pay its mana cost less two. Sounds good. <laughs> so you get to do the next one, which means I, get to, <laughs> I can read ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, jeez. All right. So, uh, madness is uh, kind of a uh, this this rule right here is is dealing with madness. So, madness is a keyword that represents two abilities. Okay. The first says if a player would discard that card. That player discards it, but exiles it instead of putting it into their graveyard. Okay. And then when this card is exiled that way, so we just change zones, right? Because we, we, it went from the hand to exile. And then it says when this card is exiled this way, its owner may cast it by paying its cost rather than paying its mana cost. If that player doesn't, they put that card into their graveyard. So it's going from hand to exile to graveyard. This rule right here, uh, 407k, it says after resolving a madness triggered ability, okay, the exiled card, if the exiled card wasn't cast and was moved to a public zone, i.e. the graveyard most generally, effects referencing the discarded card can find that object, okay? Because remember, madness says... Uh, if a player would discard a card, that player discards it, but it's exiled instead of putting it in the graveyard. Okay. Right. And, but then, because of the triggered ability, if you don't cast it, it changes zones. It goes from exile to graveyard. So normally, changes zones, new object. This exception is like, no, 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 no. Things that want to interact with that discarded card can find it, even though it wasn't discard. It was it was discarded to exile, and then it went to the actual graveyard. Right. Okay, it just makes it just makes it madness work like you think it should. Yep. Okay. Oh, I see why you wanted this next one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see why you didn't want this next one. So it's all fair. Um, the next rule has to do with stickers. Ooh, we know that how much Brian loves stickers. Stickers. Um, <laughs> a little louder for those in the back. I um, hate stickers. There you go. Okay. I happen to love them, so I'm thankful I got this one. And this rule specifically defines what happens to stickers when the object changes zone. So you have a, a permanent on the battlefield, and it's got a hot dog sticker and a word sticker and a power toughness sticker. And somehow your opponent is rude enough to kill that permanent. Savvy. Um, you, mis you mispronounced savvy. I did mispronounce savvy, but uh, you know, that's okay. I can be excused this one time. Uh, the card goes from the battlefield to the graveyard. When it does that, those stickers remain on the card. Um, the reason is, is because of the characteristic defining abilities that happen and some other stuff. But those stickers stay there. If the card, however, is returned to your hand, let's say it's bounced, the stickers are removed. 
if the cards go to another private zone um, or non-public zone like the library, the stickers are removed. Um, only when the object is still visible do the stickers remain. That's what this is doing. Okay. All right. So we're out of the exceptions at that particular case. Yep. And while we went over these 15-ish of these exceptions, most of them, when we were talking about, you might not even have been aware that Flash was actually an exception. Uh, uh, Draconic Destiny, uh, Rancor, uh, you know, referencing Kicker. All of these are exceptions. You might not even have been aware just because you just read the card and you're like, oh, yeah, it's that's what it's supposed to do. So this is these exceptions are kind of one of the things where if you are just beginning and you understand, you know, okay, if it changes zones, it's a new object. But you might not necessarily pick up on the fact that some of these cards are trying to do things on objects that have changed zones. Right. So it it almost is like having a little bit of rules understanding or having a little bit more than average rules understanding will start to make you have questions like, wait, how's this supposed to work? And you go look in, at the examples and then or the, the exception, you go like, oh, that's how. But if you hadn't gained that little bit of, of rules expertise to begin with, you probably wouldn't have even questioned it. So sometimes, sometimes when you're wondering how cards work, it actually helps to, to be dumber is just, or to, or to think dumber is is like, Oh, maybe I'm overthinking this, which speaking of overthinking this, we're going to talk about the next rule, which is a a little one-off rule that says if an object in an exiled zone is exiled, it doesn't change zones, but it becomes a new object that has just been exiled. And you know what? When 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 we get to the actual exile uh, zone and the special things that are under there, this is actually repeated in there. And I think is it's it because it's so confusing? <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna give you an example of when it would when it would be relevant or and this is it's kind of convoluted. So there's this card called Void Maw. Uh, it's four black black creature that says if another creature would die exile it instead okay and then it says put a card exiled with void maw into its owner's graveyard void maw gets plus two plus two until end of turn okay so if you have this out and you kill like five things they don't go to the graveyard they go to exile and then you can take those five things put them back into the great put them in their owner's graveyard and void maw is going to get plus 10 plus 10 and it's got trample so boot. okay Sounds like a very black card thing to do. It is. It is a black card. There is another card called Leyline of the Void. Okay, which says if a if a uh, card would go to a graveyard, exile it instead. Okay, so um, (laughs) okay, I get I get what you're putting down. (laughs) Okay, so now I've got these creatures exiled with Void Maw. Right. I'm now going to use the ability to put the card exiled with Void Maw into its owner's graveyard. So I take yeah. that card, I go to put it in the graveyard, but Leyline of the Void says, no, put that back in exile. Right. So it doesn't actually, so it, it's in exile. It tries to go to the graveyard, but it can't, so it just stays in exile. Oh, cool. Well, then I can, It's the, if it's the same object, I can just exile it infinitely, get an infinitely big Void Maw, and attack, which is dumb. Yes. Okay. So... Yeah, basically, if if you've got a card in exile and and you something makes you exile it again, uh, it, it just stays where it is and becomes a new object and womp womp. Right. Yeah. 
makes sense. Yep. Okay, uh, you do the next rule because I don't know how that makes sense. Yeah, the next rule, I'm going to, you know, let our listeners know what it is, and then we're just going to move on. Um, <laughs> it, the rule states, if a face-up object in the command zone is turned face down, it becomes a new object. First off, why would you do that? And since I don't know, I'm just going to say that stop doing bad things. I think that's a good catch-all, but it does make sense. Uh, if the object is, a let's say, a commander, and somehow you've manipulated it to be face down in the command zone, um, it is now a new object, just like if it were on the battlefield and you did a morph. It's, it's, it's a new object, right? There has to be a reason for this. Somebody, somebody out there figured out a way to break something. Maybe we're barking up the wrong tree and it's like a, a plane chase planes or something like that, like flipping over when you planes walk away. It's something like that. Anyway, okay, uh, the next one is, if an object in the command zone is put into the command zone, this is just another bookkeeping one, and it doesn't change zones, but it becomes a new object that has just entered the command zone. All right. So it's basically the same thing as exile, only only even more convoluted to get that to happen. Sure. Um, and, and the next one is another bookkeeping rule. Uh, it's if an object's outside the game and if it isn't in any of the game zones, outside the game is not a zone. Okay. Yeah. Your sideboard is not, your sideboard is not in the command zone. Right. Right. You, you know, the, the promo that you received on day one of the GP is not, uh, in any of the zones of the game. Yep. That's fine. Yep. All right. Uh, so those are, for the most part, the general rules for zone moving around. And so now we're going to talk about the specific zones. Oh, one other thing. Some uh, that's general. Some effects tell a player to do something to a zone. Shuffle your hand into your library, something along those lines. Um, you're not, even though the thing says shuffle, you know, shuffle your hand into the library, you're really just doing that action on all cards in the zone. The zone itself is not is not shuffled. Like the card if you shuffle your library, you are not actually shuffling your library zone. You are shuffling the cards that are in the, the zone. library zone. Right. Yes. Makes sense. Yes. All right. So speaking of library, what's up? Uh, I I work in one. Um they're very nice. Uh they're a great place to to, you know, learn something or take in a movie or interact with um other human beings no wait that's not what we're talking about we're talking about the library we're talking about the the zone and uh with that we have we have some library specific rules and interactions so first off and this may seem really obvious but at the beginning of the game your deck becomes your library okay um, when you um, have shuffled up and you've dealt yourself your, your seven cards for your opening hand and you've sat there and you said, okay, I'm all good. The pile of cards that's remaining that's on the table uh, is your library. Okay. Um, libraries are a single face down pile. And you can't have three different face down piles and call it all your library. Players can't look at or change the order of the cards in the library unless a game rule allows you. Um, there have been plenty of cards printed over time that allow you to look at the top card of your library. 
um, anytime you want to. There are cards that allow you as a single one-off effect, allow you to look at the top three cards of your library and Scry. do something with them. Scry. Um, there are there are plenty of ways that you can manipulate your library, especially if you're a dirty blue player. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell us how Charles, you really feel. Bad, bad Charles. Bad Charles. Uh, get back in the corner. Um, so players can't look at or change the order of cards unless an effect allows it, right? Uh, any mm -hmm. player can count the number of cards remaining in any player's library. Do this once. Don't do this five times during the course of one turn. Yeah, you're probably stalling at that particular point. Then you're point. stalling. Um, yeah, but, if, this... but, but, but if you're getting to the end game, and it's really important to know how many cards are in your opponent's library, you're allowed to count those cards. Yeah, now generally speaking, you're just going to say how many cards you got left in the library, and then your opponent's going to count and tell you. Right. Okay, but you are allowed to count. Yes. They, yeah. and, and they can't. they can't deny you that information. And and your and your your opponent can just as well sit there and say I don't know look at it you know they you know they they don't have to actually count and answer you um, but oftentimes they'll want to do that yep. um, if an effect puts uh, two or more cards in a specific position at the same time the owner of the library chooses the order and they don't have to necessarily reveal which card is the third card and which card is the fourth card okay some effects tell a player to play with the top card of the library revealed. If the top card of the library changes while a spell is being cast, the new top card does not get revealed until after the spell finishes being cast. So while the spell is on the stack... No. Um, no. Well, no, while the spell is being cast, you can't yep. look at that next card and gain information from it, right? That's what yep. it's basically saying. Yep, but once it's cast... Once it's cast, yeah. it's once it's on the stack, then you can look. Um, because once it's cast, you've made choices about modes and so forth. Yeah, I mean, the, fir the first thing you do is move it from whatever zone onto, uh, uh, onto the stack, but you can't, um, if the top card of your library changes while doing these steps of casting a spell, yeah, you don't get to look at it. Right. Or you don't, get to, you don't reveal it. If an effect makes you put a card nth from the top, there's a, what is it, second sun, approach of the second sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the library has less than n cards, you put it on the bottom. So if it says put it seven cards down and you have five cards left in your bot uh, it left in your library, you put it on the bottom of the library. Okay. Uh, the, the MTR lets you put small markers on the top of your library as a memory device. Now, what's a small marker and what's a memory device and why does it let you do this? Um, it allows you to do this so that you can remember to do an action typically before you draw a card for your turn. That's like 95% of the time what's happening. Yep. You want to make sure that you perform an action at the end of your opponent's end, uh, end step or during their second main phase this, before, before this you take your turn over. This became a super big deal with packs. With, like, with packs like, like, you like lose the packs game if unplugged you don't... And, and packs packs north and packs west. Or, uh, no, like or Orion. Game, game packs. Orion packs. Orion packs, okay. Yeah. Optimus Prime before he got the leadership of no got it. <laughs> uh, P A C T like packs of negation okay that kind of thing because okay. that's a pretty big deal like if you don't uh, the packs let you basically do an effect for free and then you have to pay during your next upkeep or lose the game that's sure. a pretty big trigger to remember sure so 
So players would be like, can I can I put something on top of my library to help me remember? Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Absolutely. Um, I, I tend to carry a, a, a themed poker chip with me that I'll, I'll put on top. Um, other players will put a coin or, hey, a dice. Uh, a die would a die is fine. Um, you you can put your your uh, ring on on top of that. Not yeah. You know, it, whatever. The MTR just just the so MTR, long as it's small and it's not overly obtrusive. Right. The MTR says that it can't obscure the top card of the library. Right. So, so you so you can't put a, a notebook token. on top of it. Yep. Or a morph token or something like that. Right. Right. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So that was the library. Now get ready. We're gonna talk about the hand for a second. The hand is where you hold your cards. But um bump. I'm so glad that that is defined. Um, <laughs> but, but let's 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 face it. I mean, there are some things that you absolutely have to define because magic players, magic judges are magic players and magic judges. They're going to try and you know find loopholes with things. Each player has a maximum hand size, okay, which is typically seven cards. Okay, uh, a player can have any number that now that's not a hard cutoff as in you can't ever go above that. So a player can have more cards in their hand than their maximum hand size. But when you get to the cleanup step, you got to discard down to your maximum hand size. Thought okay. vessel or something like that yeah. that allows you to hold more cards in your hand. Sure. Now, thought vessel gives you no maximum hand size. So there are cards that increase your maximum hand size by one or reduce your maximum hand size by two, or even remove, reduce your maximum hand size by seven, okay? But if I have no maximum, and then I have my maximum reduced by seven, so infinity minus seven is... Still infinity. Is still, it's just a slightly smaller infinity. <laughs> okay, you know, blah, 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 countable infinite sets are the same size. I don't, none of you. All right, now, opponents aren't able to see what's in your hand, but they can count those cards. Like, you you cannot deny your opponent the ability to count the number of cards in your hand, okay? There's also a rule that says, like, players can... Re- uh, this is in the MTR. You can reveal private information, because we talked about your hands being private. You can reveal your own private information to your opponent. And you can do this both either intentionally, where you just, like, look what I got, want a scoop or you can do this accidentally which is the example of uh i'm wearing mirrored sunglasses and you can see my hand in the reflection of the sunglasses you're you're revealing those cards as long as as long as the opponent isn't taking like like going through a whole lot of like crazy gyrations to 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 see what's in my hand so if you're Um, in a multiplayer game and you, what is it, a mind slaver, where you take control of an opponent's hand? Can mm-hmm. you, can you, as the person in control of that hand, reveal the hand to the other players in the game? Okay, so let's not let's to go be, too deep down the rabbit hole, but this is a question that comes up frequently. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's look at it this way because you're going to get into a, a lot of arguments and people saying like, no, there's nothing saying that you can reveal and you shouldn't be. Okay, so if. Charles and I are playing and Sama has gotten out of the phantom zone and she's the third person and I've controlled Charles's turn. Okay. I now have gained information, the cards in his hand. I can just tell Sama what's in his hand. Okay. Shenanigans. 
there's really no functional difference between me telling Sama what's in the hand versus me showing it. Now, people argue, it's like, yeah, well, I could be lying to Sama about what's in Charles's hands. Yeah, and if I was going to lie, then I'll just say it instead of showing it. But real, realistically, you know, even though there's like, ah, oh, there's no, there's nothing that says, there's no card that says reveal. Yeah, you could just reveal that stuff at any time. It's private information that you have access to. Eh. I'm not playing with you guys anymore. I'm taking my ball home. Well, I mean, I think I'd be more <laughs> upset about being mind-slavered than having someone tell someone tell someone else what's in my hand. This is true, but don't tell me how to be mad. I <laughs> I kind of want I kind of want to it's like, just get over it. yourself. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So that's all the stuff I got to say about the hand. Sure. We we I feel that we have talked to the hand enough. So, in that case, we're going to jump to the battlefield. And the battlefield is where all the exciting stuff happens in the game of magic. Everything that I'm interested about happens on the battlefield. I like turning cards. Sideways. You are a red. You are a red player. You I don't am, ever cast. I, you don't ever cast burn um, from your hands. Sometimes from the yeah, stack. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Okay. Um, so the battlefield is the main zone of the game. That's where everything happens. All the permanents that a player controls are there, with the exception of you know that one commander that's sitting over in the command zone waiting to do stuff. Spells or abilities check only the battlefield unless it specifically mentions a player or another zone. If a spell returns all creatures to your hand, it means all creatures on the battlefield. If a spell returns all creatures from your graveyard to your hand, it doesn't interact with the battlefield at all. It's just going straightly, straight from the graveyard to your hand. That's really about it. Except, and I don't see it here, and I want to make sure that it's mentioned mm -hmm. at least once tonight. We may have mentioned it earlier. The battlefield is shared. It's a combined zone. There's there's not your battlefield and my battlefield. Uh, the battlefield is is one big space and everything's happening there. Well, if love is a battlefield, then it does make sense that it's shared. Yes, yes. yes. Because because love like like pain should be shared. Yes. <laughs> All right. Talk about the. So let me let me just clarify that that rule. Uh, the the way I've expressed it is. Whenever, whenever you cast a spell and it's and it's trying to do something to objects, people people ask like, well, does this does this apply to creatures in my graveyard? Does this apply to creatures on the battlefield? What about cards in my hand? Okay, if it doesn't say explicitly, okay, then it's going to be messing with the battlefield. Okay, right. things that affect cards that affect stuff are going to only affect things on the battlefield unless. It just don't make sense, okay? Like a counter target spell, all right? There ain't no spell. Yeah, ain't no spells on the battlefield, so that isn't gonna be there. Where it's where there's spells, there's spells on the stack. It's gonna affect the stack, right? Okay. Uh, graveyard. Graveyard is really just a fancy name for discard pile, right? A lot of other games have a discard pile. Uh, that's any object that's countered, discarded, destroyed, sacrifice, sliced, dice, juliade, whatever. It slices, it dices. <laughs> uh, also, any instant or sorcery spell that finishes resolving is going to go to the graveyard by default. All right. Each graveyard is kept in a single face-up pile. Okay, despite you might be going and seeing people that like spread their graveyards out and fan them out so that they can see all the cards in the graveyard. That is 
not part of uh, the CR, but it does make the games go faster. So don't step in and say nothing if you're a judge. If they're, if you know, the you, graveyard you'll even, is clear. You'll even see in modern uh, occasionally, depending on on what's being played, you'll even see the graveyard spread out across the top of a player's battlefield area sometimes. That just upsets um, my sensibilities. But, I know it but does, don't... but there's but there's good reason for it. Oh, yeah. When when they're playing delve, when they're when they're playing that style of of graveyard interaction deck, um, let them do their thing. Yep, they are doing it. They're doing it for their benefit, and in this particular case, their benefit is going to be to the benefit of the tournament. Yes. All right. So players can't normally change the order of their graveyard. However, there are, as we mentioned in certain tournaments, uh, may allow players to change the order of their graveyard based on what's what sets are out there. Oh yeah. All right. Um, and then if a effect or a rule puts two or more cards in the graveyard at the same time, the owner of those cards can put them in any order they want. So if four creatures die at the same time, you can pick the order. Now, if you're playing in one of the formats that don't care about order, who cares? Just drop them on in there. But if you're playing with cards that do care about graveyard order, you might want to take the time and figure out the proper, the correct order. And and what's kind of important to mention here is the M- MTR is very specific. It says that you can reorder your own graveyard. Um, it doesn't mean that you can reorder your opponent's graveyard. Modern forward, I don't know where it matters that much, especially with pioneer and standard um whether or not you actually shuffle three cards out of order in your opponent's graveyard but just don't do it um, when you look at your opponent's graveyard keep the cards in order if you want to reorder what's happening in your graveyard knock yourself out <laughs> yep all right so that was graveyard right that was graveyard which means i get to do stack and, yeah and stack is this nice long list of things but it it really is fairly straightforward So with the stack, when a spell is cast, the physical card is put on the stack. Now, we don't think of the stack as a place on the that's physical on the tabletop, right? Um, We have a library, which is very physical. We have a graveyard, which is very physical. Exile, battlefield, command zone, your hand. These things are all physical. The stack is this virtual thing that's created. Is that fair, Brian? Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, it's kind of a device that allows the the, game to remain in order. It's the airspace above the battlefield. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, Activated abilities and triggers also go on the stack without physical cards to represent them. So when a trigger goes on the stack, it just goes on the stack as, as the trigger itself. Yeah. Uh, Think of, think of like an infinite token with the ability written on it and boop on the stack. On the stack. Right. Um, it keeps track of the order of the spells and or abilities as they are added. Each new object is put on the top of the ones that entered before. This is very important. The stack works in a first in, last out order. So knowing the order of spells and abilities on the stack is critical. So you cast an instant, your opponent casts an instant return, you cast a trigger in return, uh, they cast, uh, they they activate an ability in return. The activated ability is on the top of the stack, and that trigger is right underneath of it, and then the rest is is underneath of those in the same order, that, in the reverse order in which they were cast. Okay? Uh, knowing that order is very important. 
if an effect puts two or more objects on the stack at the same time for multiple players, the objects enter the stack in active player, non-active player order. That's commonly referred to as APNAP. If a player controls multiple objects, they choose the order of the, and, and how they uh, enter the stack. Spells on the stack have the characteristics of the object that created it. Each activated or triggered ability on the stack only has the text of the ability. Just as we were talking a few moments before, um, there's no actual physical representation of those. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of weird. So a, a counter spell yeah. on the stack okay is blue right okay because it has all of the characteristics of the card associated with it if i am creating a copy of a card and casting it into exile uh, casting it from exile okay it has the characteristics of the card associated with it for triggered abilities and activated abilities on the stack where they just have this the text they actually don't have color okay so a prodigal sorcerer you know uh, that ability where it's tapped you know, it's a blue creature that tap do one point of damage target creature player. That ability, when it goes on the stack, it does not technically have a color. But right. when you talk about when you get into damage and prevention effects and all that kind of stuff, it talks about gaining ga- gaining protection from the source of an ability. So while the triggered ability on the stack itself is not blue, its source, source is blue. Is right. And then all those other fancy rules that deal with prevention and protection and stuff like that look at the source of the triggered or activated ability right okay when all players pass priority um after you know you know uh, arnold is uh, casting a spell and then nancy returns with a another spell to add to the stack and we go back and forth and we're adding all these wonderful things once we're done um the topmost item is allowed to resolve once once priorities pass. The topmost item is resolved, then we go back down until we hit the bottom. Once the bottom item is resolved, if both players pass priority, we go to the next step or phase of the turn. There are some things that do not use the stack, and it's important to enumerate them, even though it may be clear to all of us what they are. There might be one or two items here that surprise you. Uh, effects don't go on the stack. State State abilities don't go on the stack. Did I copy that correctly? What's that? State um, abilities don't go on the stack. Hold yeah, on, I yeah. want to make sure um, I got it. So effects, effects static effects. abilities. Static abilities don't go on the stack. That's you know, I type too fast sometimes. Oh, that's fine. Uh mana abilities. Um, yeah, so those. static ability is something, you know, like all creatures get plus one plus one. It's right. just on a Gaia's anthem. Right. Right. That that once it's resolved, that ability is just in place. It no longer is using the stack. Um Mana abilities, those things just resolve immediately, of course. Special actions, and I'm not going to list all the special actions because there are 10 of them. Yeah, that's um, a whole other podcast. That's a, <laughs> it, it almost is, isn't it? Um, yep. but, but things like turning a, card face, uh, turning a face down card face up or exiling a suspend card, uh, those things are special actions, and you should look those up. Uh, these items do not use the stack. Uh, turn-based actions, state-based actions, those don't use the stack. Uh, conceding the game does not use use the stack and for whatever reason it lists it, it lists this as a separate item i think it's really almost the same thing but leaving a multiplayer game does not use the stack why it's separate from conceding i'm not sure but somebody did something somewhere 
No, I mean you can you can y'all players did y'all players did shenanigans somewhere. No, I mean this is this is basically it says uh, if a player leaves the multiplayer game, it's actually talking about like if the player you know dies or loses. Yeah, they've all those... lost. They've conceded. They're out. They're no, they bad. haven't conceded. They're no, they're bad players. They're out. <laughs> well, these are my people now. Okay, you know, conceding, no, I get it. conceding is okay. Cool. Um, so leaving a multiplayer game, what happens there is is you have to do cleanup. Um, anything that's that's uh, in process, you have to take care of that. Yeah. Um, Basically, if something goes on the stack, players get an opportunity to respond to it and interact with it or right. do something before that resolves. This right. whole list is is stuff that either there's no opportunity to respond to once it's once it's kicked in or it just happens and the players don't get a, a opportunity to respond. Right. And be careful when explaining these things to players, okay? Players like um, to use terms that they've learned, but sometimes they don't know exactly how those terms are actually supposed to be applied. They'll sit there and they will say, okay, well, that's on the stack. Maybe not. Um, let's break it down for them, take the time to explain it to them, and, and help them understand a little bit better why something is not necessarily on the stack. Yeah, or, or I've cast my guy as Anthem. It's resolved, and and Charles is like, "All right, uh, before my creature gets pl- before your creature gets plus one plus one, I'm going to do X." Right. It's there. There is no. There's no. In there's that. no response right. in the, right. <laughs> that scenario. All right. So <laughs> the the note here that you've got is is exile zone is a place to hold objects, not anywhere else. That's really the command zone, though. <laughs> okay it's the command zone is just the command zone is the junk drawer of magic it's just where they shove everything so essentially okay the exile zone is essentially a holding area for objects it's it's kind of like another graveyard that's a little bit harder to get in and out of okay? a lot harder to get in and out of unless you have yeah. unless you have the tools right uh this zone used to be called the re- Remove from game zone. Okay. So um, so some spells and abilities are going to exile an object without any way to return that object to another zone. Okay. Other spells and abilities might just pop it into exile for just a brief brief little second. Like uh, if you're familiar with how Nightcrawler's teleportation ability actually works. Um, Banff. Yeah. Apparently it, it, he it, like it works goes... Banff. He goes to another dimension briefly. <laughs> he does. He does. Okay. And, and and the comic books will all say BAMF, B-A-M-F, with an exclamation point or four when he yeah. does it. Yeah. Okay. Exiled cards, by default, are uh, are visible and kept face up. Okay. Uh, so that any player can look at them at any time. There are cards that are, quote, exiled face down. Mm-hmm. And those can't be uh, looked at by any player except when instructions allow it. Okay. Right. However, once you've been told that you can look at a face down card um, or you're able to look at it, you may continue to look at that card for as long as it's remained in exile, even if the instruction that says you can look at it is gone. So much like Yoda saying, like, once you start down the path to the dark side, forever will it dominate your destiny. Once you've looked at a face down exiled card, forever will you be able to look at it? Mm, yes. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. 
and, and this is this is funny because there's certain cards that say like um exile this card face down you may look at it at any time and the um and then if that creature dies you say like oh well, i guess i can't look at it no you can still look at it because because once you're told you can look at it you can keep looking at it even if the thing that lets you look at it goes away it's a simple um, matter of expediency right yep yeah, there's no reason that you can't look at it. You've already seen it. You already know what it is. Okay, so maybe you forgot whether or not it said can or whether or not it had a may or a may or, or a required trigger. You still can look at that card. You know, otherwise you have to call the judge over, get the oracle text. Why go through yep. all of that? Yep. All right. So a card that's been exiled face down has no characteristics. Okay. Uh, but the speller ability that exiled it may still uh, may allow it to be played from exile. Okay, let's see here. Some uh, some spells and abilities will let players cast face down exile cards. Okay, uh, the spell uh, being cast must be legal, i.e., the object must meet the casting restriction. So basically, when you start to cast it, you you uh, the cards turned face up just before the player announces that they are playing uh, playing the card. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Uh, some spells and abilities are going to allow a player to cast spells with certain qualities from among face-down cards in exile. Player may cast such a spell only if they're allowed to look at that face-down card in exile. So if you're, so if you're not allowed to look at it, at that pile, and there are some cards that that put things in face-down in exile. Okay, if you can't look at that pile, you can't cast you can't cast those spells. All right. So if you've got a face down pile that you can't look at, and then something that says uh, you can cast uh, you can cast a red card a red card you own from exile this turn, well you might be playing a mono red deck, so you know that some of those cards that are face down are red. You can't you can't look at them. You can't start. Let's see. Face down cards in exile should be kept in distinct piles. Okay. Generally speaking, when a card exiles cards face down. Those face down cards are tied to an ability of that card or creature. So you want to keep them much like the offspring, you want to keep them separated. <laughs> you got to keep them separated. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. You got a note here that says if an object is in the exile zone becomes exiled it doesn't okay this is just that same rule covered This is that same time. rule. I I didn't understand why it was important. You explained it very well earlier, but like oh, I said okay. it's it's repeated. Yeah. All right. Yep. Okay. Uh and then previously the exile zone was called the remove from the game zone. So that's just if you talk about like the old swords to plowshares you know, said remove this from the game. Right. And then there is a fun card called A Wall. You know it, this card, don't you? It, this is an uncard. It is. It says I, exile, exile target attacking creature, then remove it from the game, then put it in the absolutely removed from the frigging game forever zone. It resolves. It sounds great. Yeah. There we, should, is, we should we should have we should, we should all be so lucky. So there's actually ten zone or 10 zones when you ca count the anti-zone there's also the remove it from the game zone and then the absolutely remove from the freaking game forever zone no oh, i love it that's everything about exile um we have two more zones and i'm going to cover both of them i i'm oh. i'm just being generous you're making a command decision i'm making a command decision okay um the two zones uh, the first one's command and it's a game zone reserved for special objects that's about it. 
nothing in the current rules allows for objects in the command zone to be interacted with. So if you have an emblem in the command zone, it's not being touched during it is the a game. pet cemetery it yeah is yeah elephant graveyard yeah, yeah yeah i fully expect i fully expect at some point in time in the next five or ten years for somebody from r&d to figure out a way that you know you'll be able to interact with the command zone i don't think it's untouchable but the current rules make it that way so for now that's what happened um when emblems are created they also go into the command zone i don't think we mentioned emblems too much before but emblems are created by planeswalkers the planeswalker ultimate and then they go into the command zone and they can't be they can't be touched and then the last zone the zone that i'm going to spend the most time talking about is anti okay that's all i got that's all i got that's it that's so that's everything right we're all covered yeah okay great so until next time uh, you can send us an email at judgecast.com or like us at Facebook or follow us at, on Twitter at the judgecasts. No, it's just at judgecast. Don't, don't listen to me. Uh, and until then, uh, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillman and I keep playing my Temerian Fiends. What about the the un- the unky zone? You've got the anti zone and the uncle zone. The uncle zone. Yeah, to go with the anti zone. The anti zone and the uncle zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that I think that's fair. Oh, sorry, the anti zone. Fine, yeah. you got to be all cultured. <laughs> I need Sama here to give you like that glare through the, the microphone. The boo. <laughs> I feel kind of liberated and free. Just like, not only am I making all these terrible jokes, but I also control all the editing. It's like, I'm going to add a laugh track. (laughs) Oh, that would be great.